Welcome to Market Mentors, a podcast for the marketing leaders of today and tomorrow. I'm Fiona Jensen, a director and co-owner of Market Recruitment. For over a decade, I've been helping B2B marketeers find the best jobs with great companies. Together, we'll discover how marketing experts reach the top and learn from their experience. Ask career-related questions you can't get answers to elsewhere. Be tough, be challenged, be mentored. Well-read, multi-book published author and well-respected for his field marketing within the IT enterprise sector, we're delighted to introduce this week's market mentor, Scott Addington. A self-deprecating, modest supporter of common sense marketing, Scott talks honestly about field marketing as a specialism, its challenges, opportunities and his experience of working on the front line with senior sales stakeholders. Talking of the front line, we also learn how Scott has found the time alongside being a family man, dog owner and senior marketing leader to enjoy his passion for battlefront archaeology and discover how he's combined a successful marketing career with being a successful author. So I'm here with uh, Scott Addington, the Marketing and Channel Director um, of Sage, who's also an accomplished author with uh, none other than 13 books and counting, I think, so far. So thanks ever so much for joining us, Scott. Much appreciated. Not a problem. Delighted to be included in your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So why don't you talk to our audience a little bit about you, your background, experience, and how you've got to where you are today, just to give a sort of general overview of your experience and and how you've got to where you are today. Yeah, of course. So um, currently I am... Uh, the Enterprise and Channel uh, Marketing Director for Sage. Uh, I've been with Sage for eight or nine months. Previously, um, I've, I've been, always been in technology, IT, marketing. Um, I've got more experience than I care to uh, remember, <laughs> 15 or 17 years. Um, originally, I, I didn't want to do marketing, I'll be honest. Oh. No, this is my second chosen career. Oh. Uh, I, I wanted to be a battlefield archaeologist. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, although I gained the the prerequisite um, points to get into Liverpool to do the, the archaeology degree, um, they were oversubscribed, so they kicked me off and said, sorry, Scott, you, you're not clever enough. Oh, no. So uh, I was going to take, I took a year off to redo my history A-level, but and couldn't be bothered, quite frankly, <laughs> um, and decided to do a marketing degree instead. Uh-huh. And so I did a marketing degree, and there we are. Uh, literally fell into marketing through the back door almost. Um, luckily, I work. I live in the in the south, mm-hmm. and so there's lots of technology organisations around. In four corridor, yeah. exactly. Uh, you know, Bracknell, um, Reading, Slough. So. I know the M4 and the M3 intimately over the last uh, 15 or so years. Uh, and so just applying my trade, you know, learning and just moving up through the ranks slowly but surely and until I, I landed at Sage. So, And was technology a specific uh, sort of market sector that you wanted to focus in on or was there 
Um, how, how did you get into IT, I suppose, as a market? It was a conscious choice mm-hmm. um, because of the number of organisations that are around here, mm-hmm. right? I, I thought that would be a safe bet if, if I needed to move jobs or if I got redu- made redundant or, or whatever, then it would. It seemed to me to be, if I could get experience in IT, and, we're, you know, we're talking, you know, early 2000s mm-hmm. here where the, the IT... Although the IT bubble had, part, had been and gone, it was still a strong sector. It always has been, always will be a strong sector. And so, um, you know, I just wanted to be in a sector that was strong, actually, mm. you know, um, where there was less risk for me personally. Yeah. You know, um, and IT and systems, they they, they, are, they touch everyone at every different point. Um and so I've worked in companies that do software for uh, software that tests other software. I've worked for companies that do hardware and software. Um, com- I've been in ERP, which is probably the most boring uh, <laughs> piece of software in the world. But uh, for the last five or six years, um, accounting software or account automation software um, as well. So it's, it's, it's been the same but different. Mm. But it's always been about trying to promote a technology to solve a problem and building a story around that problem solving has been something that I've been able to do mm-hmm. and been able to teach other people to do. Uh, and so, yeah, it's built from there. Really. Lovely. Okay, thanks for the overview. Um, so as, as mentioned, um, Scott, we've had a lot of questions coming in from marketeers who are on their career ladder. So this could be uh, grads who are looking to make their way, uh, their first step into marketing, as well as sort of mid to senior level marketeers who need specific advice around a, a particular situation. So um, Scott selected some questions as well from the uh, list that we've had coming in. Thanks, uh, listeners, and do keep bringing them through for us we we like seeing them this end and uh, giving these mentors a good choice at the start um so if we start with those questions scott that'd be great yeah no problem um so the first one having interviewed a host of b2b marketeers over the years what advice would you give them to perform better in that interview situation yeah good question i think for me it's showing that you're interested. So at the beginning of every interview that I've ever done, I ask the same two questions. And the questions are, what do you know about the company? And then what do you know about the job? Or tell me in your own words what you think the job is that you're applying for. Is That's more specifically what I ask. <laughs> and um, I am continually amazed how many people are unable to answer those questions Um, and often I will end the interview right there you know regardless of whether their CV is on paper you know a star candidate if they don't show me that they're interested enough in the job to do a little bit of research um, on the company that they want to work for and wants to be paid by 
then um, that tells me quite a bit straight away about the, the attitude and the mentality of that individual. And conversely, when I've been interviewed, I'm always surprised when the first 20 minutes of an interview is spent by the interviewer telling me about the organisation. Because I normally interrupt them and say, do you know what, let me tell you what I think about the organisation. And I would advise everyone to do that because it shows the right attitude. It shows that you're interested. And not many candidates do it. And I think it will get you onto a really good positive um, footing just by saying, you know what, I've done a bit of research on your organisation. Let me let me show you what I've learned. Uh, hopefully it's right. And most of the time, the interviewer will go, oh, OK, yeah, like that. Not many people do that. And it's interesting also to get other people's perspective and viewpoint on the organisation as well, I think, isn't it? You well, don't necessarily have to get it right, but... You can no. form an opinion and have a viewpoint. Absolutely. And you don't need to memorise it, right? So I go, if, I am, if I'm in an interview situation, I'm being interviewed, I will take loads of notes and I'll say, you know, I don't know all of my heart, so I'm going to have to read some notes, but I've got some pointers here. And that's fine. You know, it's not a memory test, right? Yeah. It's a research test um, and it's an attitude test. And we'll come on to that later, I'm sure. But, you know, that that just by getting the interview started in that way I think sets the tone mm -hmm. and shows the interviewer that you're that you, you are it will straight away um, put you in the top two or three percent of the interview candidates I'm, I guarantee it because mm -hmm. not many people would do it good great great advice there thanks Scott and um, when you're interviewing candidates what key things do you look for uh the ability to answer those two questions. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> First and foremost. It's, it's, all, it's attitude, you know. I'm a great believer in... I can, I've got a great belief, belief in myself to be able to teach people um, some of the basics of marketing. Right? Mm. It's not a difficult subject, right? let's be honest. It's not. Mm. Um, but it's attitude, really. I can't teach attitude. I can't teach enthusiasm. Um, and so... There's been a numerous occasions where, against the judgment of other people, I have chosen not the best candidate from a marketing experience point of view, but the best person that I think will fit in with the team and has the best uh, attitude. Um, and I'm normally, I'm normally right. <laughs> not always, but I'm normally right. Touching you know, <laughs> I, I, I would like to think I'm a good judge of character. Yeah, um, and so. Attitude um, is I can't you can't teach attitude. No, um, I think and also as you say, if you're taking into consideration the rest of the team who else are going to be working with, if they all have a really good positive attitude, I don't think they're going to put up with someone who doesn't bring something to the table. Also, exactly, and you've got you've got to show a willingness to learn as well. You know? um, especially if, if it's if you're, if you're even if you're hiring for a, a marketing manager level or, you know, a marketing specialist level, everyone's learning. I'm learning every day as well, you know. So willingness to learn, willingness to listen, to, you know, to take on new ideas and just a general positive attitude. We don't want to be surrounded by grumpy people. <laughs> right? jobs, the, jobs, the job's too difficult as it is, right? Yeah. Um, so my advice would be 
go in positive, do your research, know why you want to apply for that job mm. and tell them. Don't be afraid to interrupt and say, actually, let me tell you. I think that, that, that's, that's my advice. Very good. Um, so uh, with regards to your own experience now at interviews, what is the toughest interview question that you've been asked? Ooh, I've been asked a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, I think there's a couple. There's a couple of situations that, that the most uncomfortable interviews that I've had. Um, I went stupidly for an interview. Well, it wasn't stupid because they were paying a lot of money. Right? Mm-hmm. So let me get that straight. <laughs> and this is when I was. I was only like a year or so out of university and, they, and um, this company, Philip Morris, they were looking for marketing managers and they were paying a lot of money. And so I went for it just because, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go for it and see. Why uh, not try? You never know. Why not try? You won't you know. Um, and it was a panel interview. So it was, it was a group interview, sorry. It was a group interview and there was like um, seven or eight of us around the table, it, just a, a, a room like this pretty much, a um, boardroom table. And there were cigarettes in the room and I'm, not a smoker no. at all. That and would have been pretty often. And, and the first thing that the uh, director of the, it was the UK director or whatever, said, if you, if you want one, just help yourself. So suddenly five or six people started lighting up in this boardroom. Oh, no. And I'm like, sorry, see you later. So I had to walk out. Yeah. <laughs> it was just not, not my cup of tea there. Um, so that was that was one kind of weird uh, interview situation and another one was um, I was sent on a kind of selection day oh no um, where and I was in I was in central London in a really nice hotel um, with you know, like 20 other people okay and as well as being the non- it was a different company but as well as being a non-smoker yeah I'm a huge introvert as well okay <laughs> and so putting me in that situation um, was really putting me in, in, not in my discomfort zone, but it was just way, way out of my, and and because I was much younger then, uh, you know, we can talk a a lot about introversion, introversion, whatever the the term is, but I've learned to cope a lot with, with that um, part of my personality and how to overcome it and how to, how to deal with it in, in a, in, you know, speaking in public or in, in large meeting rooms with, you know, VPs and managing directors and all that kind of stuff, where you're expected to have a voice and be vociferous if you need to defend your position. You mean but that doesn't come naturally to you? It, it absolutely <laughs> doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. Um, but at that point in my life, I, I, I wasn't mm. experienced enough and uh, it was absolutely horrifying mm. I have to say and, and I knew it was a selection centre but I didn't know it was like 20 or 30 people I thought yeah. it might be 3 or 4 people and I think I, and I thought I'd be able to cope with it but 20 or 30 people I couldn't do it and so we had to do all these team building exercises about you know um, I, I remember one of the questions was uh, you, you're on a you're on a boat there's four spaces and there's only two spaces left and you have to choose between a politician an estate agent and somebody else. All, all three had, in quote, in quote, bad reputations, yeah. or whatever, and you had to justify which one you were going to leave on the 
on the shore and all that, or whatever. There's loads of like silly things like that, uh, you know. And it was just, I just, it was. And so I did it in the morning. Yeah. We broke for lunch, and I, I did a runner. <laughs> just, I just, not my, not my cup of tea at all. So, so there's a couple of um, instances there. But although there's a, I know I tend to run away, I guess. Yeah. Situations. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't do that now, but. Uh, um, I wouldn't advocate that, I guess, but um, there's a couple of situations where the interviews haven't gone quite as well as I'd hoped. Yeah, well, <laughs> very, very brave of you to share your experiences with us. Thank you. Um, so I, I suppose if we talk about um, roles where you would be happy in the interview <laughs> scenario, um, if you were interviewing for a B2B marketing role, uh, what would you need answering in order to feel confident that it's the one for you, whether it's organisational or job or culture? What things do you ask or find out about? You know, culture is a really big thing. Um, that's one of the things that attracted me at Sage, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got to be comfortable working for the and representing the organisation you work for, yeah. And so, and when you tell your friends, your mum, your your wife, your, your whatever, that you you work for Sage, hmm. and you know you've got to be you've got to be proud of that, really, hmm. and it, uh, to be able to give it your best. Hmm. Um, and so, that organisation needs to fit with what you stand for as an individual. I, I truly believe that, yeah. Um, so there's there's that culture side of it. But also, for me, I need assurances that I will be able to do the job that I've been brought in to do. Now, that may sound a bit strange, but there are a lot of companies out there that will bring people in and tell them in interviews, you know, you'd be able to, you know, you'll have budget control and you'll be able to put the plan together yourself and da, da, da. And actually it turns out that you're not, mm. that it's run by the American global team or, you know, the, the managing director dishes out the budget on a case by case. So you've got to really dig, 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 dig deep. Uh, and it's best in, in a bigger organisation like Sage, where there are a number of people doing a similar job just for different parts of the business so there are three or four marketing directors in the UK for Sage so for me it was important to, to be interviewed by them mm-hmm. then you can ask the people that are doing the job those kind of questions right and really get into the nitty gritty and you know think about what's important for you what scenario brings out the best in you are you a person that works best in a collaborative team that needs to be in the same office mm-hmm. or are you better working on your own just with input here and there from your boss or from your peers mm-hmm. uh, or you know do you don't want anyone are you a complete control freak where you don't want anyone to get in your way you run the plan you run the budget you run everything you don't answer to anyone as long as you hit your number yeah uh, so it's figuring out whether your mode of work fits with the culture and the organisational structure of that company. Uh, and really only you can make that decision, right? You, and, and I find you, your gut feeling, you, you come out of an interview and you have a gut feeling, right? Mm. You, you have a gut feeling as whether you got on with the person um, that you were being interviewed by, whether, and if that was your prospective boss, you need to think, 
does this guy inspire me, lady? Does, mm-hmm. does this person inspire me? Can I work with them? Are they, are they a control freak? Or are they completely laissez-faire in their attitude? And how? Do, and what kind of a boss do you want? Do you want somebody that's going to give you a lot of direction? Or do you want somebody that's going to be travelling all over the world most of the time and will just check in once a week? Mm-hmm. And, and again, you need to be honest with yourself and uh, make your decision as to whether you think that's the right environment for you to, to flourish and do the best job you can. Good advice, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it it is difficult because sometimes that being honest with yourself piece isn't actually the easiest. Certainly with regards to marketing, you can often feel influenced by what others see as success or as the right role or um, as, you know, a good move per se. But actually when you get there, when you experience it yourself, it isn't necessarily the right move for you. Exactly. Exactly right. And coming back to that, you know, Sage is a big organisation. It's not for everyone. Not everyone wants to work in a big organisation. There are people that are going to be better off working for a smaller company, you know, with a tighter management team, you know, with less people being involved in decisions. So there's no decision by committee. Yeah. Right. Where things get done a bit quicker, yeah. Right, where you can be a little bit more nimble, a bit more agile in your decision making. Mm. There's, there's not so many processes. Okay, so you've got to take up all this kind of consideration, right? Yeah. It may be brilliant to be able to go down the pub and say, "I work for Oracle," or "I work for Microsoft," or "I work for Sage," or "I work for," right? But really, you've got to be true to yourself. And actually, if you're better off working for a company that nobody's heard of, but it's there's a team of 20 people in an industrial estate in High Wycombe or wherever, and you go to work happy every day, that is the most important thing. Yeah. That you get up in the morning and you look forward to going to work because, you know, it takes up so much of your life, mm-hmm. you know, your work. If you're not happy, you will see it affect other areas of your life, and then that, that, that is not a good thing. Definitely. No, that's very true. It's very true. Like, <laughs> um, what advice would you give to ambitious marketeers looking to get to the next level when they haven't operated at that level before? I guess it depends on the individual individual circumstances. So if you are in an organisation where there is a promotional opportunity, so let's say you are a marketing specialist, You've been with the company for 18 months. Your immediate line manager has moved on. Mm -hmm. And so there is a marketing manager role there. Mm -hmm. And you want to be, you want to be considered for that role. If you, if you then start behaving in the way where you want to be considered for that role, then it's too late. Mm -hmm. I think you need to go into your role showing already that you can do a better job does that make sense yeah so if you're a marketing specialist i'm not advocating working 60 hour weeks by the way but it's about getting involved in projects it's um you know helping if you can help your manager out by taking some of the reporting off them for example or being you know offering up ideas in meetings or solutions to problems or just always being helpful mm. okay and always being interested 
in what their job is mm. um, and asking questions about how they would do this or how would they um, approach this project. You know, start seeding it early. You need to make yourself, it's your, your own brand, right? You need to manage your own brand within your organisation. So you need to kind of position yourself as the marketing manager in waiting or the marketing director in waiting. And you, you can't do that when the vacancy arrives. Mm. You've got to do the groundwork. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm not articulating it particularly no, you're, well. You're, it, it's a very valid point, the whole, you know, don't wait to to be... Because um, no one's basically going to turn around to you and say, right, I think you're ready for a marketing manager. Or if they do, it's very, very rare. Yeah, and so, if they do, it's because you've already showed them that them you can take on extra cost. projects or you can take on the next level of, of stuff. You know, um, so I'm not advocating volunteering for everything, right? And I'm no. seriously not advocating working 60-hour weeks because that is just not the right. And I think we'll talk about work-life yeah. or life-work balance <laughs> um, later. But I think you've got to you've got to understand that you have your brand, right? And you have your brand within your organisation. And so, you know, you need to work that brand for one of a better expression it's not a good expression but you know you need to make sure that people know that you are capable of more than what you're doing and so being um you know offering up ideas offering up solutions get being interested in what the senior guys are doing that would all help now if it's a if it's a role from an external company that don't know you from adam or eve that's a different situation, right? Because mm. then you are just one of the masses that are trying to go for this marketing manager or marketing director role. Yeah. So you need to have a good story. Again, you know, you need to have a good brand story, your own personal brand story. Um, and it goes back to that, the interview question, was, you know, you got to, if there's 20 people going for that job, you have got to position yourself in the top, X percent, you know, and that's about having the right attitude. It's about being, making sure that you are perceived as being interested in the role. So knowing about the company, knowing about the job, having examples or ideas, um, and that should get you in good stead. So that proactive attitude again will will get you far. Perfect. Uh, So the next question, um, we've kind of tweaked this a little bit to uh, play to. Scott's experience around field marketing. So what are the top few KPIs that a field marketer should focus on? I guess that's in the day job, Scott. It is. And, I, and I'm going to start this by saying, by, by um, talking about a few KPIs that field marketeers shouldn't worry about. Oh. <laughs> and that is top of funnel inquiries and marketing qualified leads or MQLs or whatever, that whatever your determination is, okay? These are an, a good indication of activity, right? But you shouldn't be ultimately measured on these kind of things, okay? I think it's very important for any field marketeer to have very strict definitions of what a lead is, what an inquiry is, what a marketing qualified lead is, what a sales qualified opportunity is, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's absolutely critical. 
and and only then can you start measuring the right things. For me, I get measured on pipeline. So that is the amount of active pipeline that I or my team have added in the quarter. And that really is it, yeah. if I'm being honest. Yeah. Ultimately, I am measured on marketing-generated wins, mm-hmm. you know, or marketing-influenced wins as well. Yeah. Um, and how much of the pipeline I am contributing to, right? I think we 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 get hung up on likes, impressions, you know, web traffic, leads in quotes. I don't actually know what a lead is because most of the time when somebody talks about a lead, it's an inquiry, just a top of funnel inquiry. Um, and they're, as I say, they're a good indication of activity. They're a good indication of of doing the right thing but ultimately you've got to be measured on pipeline and then converting that pipeline into wins yeah it's simple yeah really simple when you look at it like that and as you say there's there's so many different touch points nowadays as well isn't there so it's difficult with with the variety of uh, measures and viewpoints and touch points that that marketeers could be measured on to remember that it's all about that you know what what's it actually going to achieve exactly and you know as a marketing manager or or you know the field marketing person of any company if you went to sales and said you know what i don't want to be measured on inquiries anymore let's really drill down and figure out the you know how am i affecting the pipeline how am I affecting wins? Then I promise you, you will get more respect from sales because there is this perennial them and us between sales and marketing, right? I was going to ask you about that, actually. How, how you manage those sales stakeholders, how you know, field marketers can actually improve that relationship because, as you say, you know, you don't talk to any field marketer without at some point there being a, you know, a, a roll of the eyes or a slight frustration or through gritted teeth conversation about a sales stakeholder at some point in their career. Oh, without question. And um, everyone's a marketing expert. Right? Yeah. Especially if you've got sales in your time. Yeah. Right? And, uh, <laughs> and, and marketing is one of those... Um, kind of strange uh, vocations where not everybody who is a marketeer has a marketing background. So if you look in, if you look in the, the finance organisation of, comp- of every company and any company, most of them have accounting degrees or finance degrees or whatever, right? So they are career finance professionals, yeah. right? You look in the marketing department, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, half of them have got you know, my, my many of my bosses, they've, they've had law degrees or history degrees or they've been sales engineers or they've been sales directors. They've been anything but career marketeers. Yeah. Right? I'm almost, I'm actually quite a rare beast having a marketing degree and actually yeah. done marketing, nothing more. Yeah. And so marketing has this perception of being quite easy. And it is easy. It's, it's, it's easy. It's, a lot of it is common sense. It's relatively easy to do a, good job at marketing but it is really hard to do a great job and it's that difference right it's that extra two or three percent that separates 
the average marketing people to the really good ones and the ones that drive the business forward and make a a material difference to the company that they're working for. Those guys are rare and they're worth the weight in gold if they are recognised and respected properly. And for me, you've got to gain their respect and you've got so you've got to you've got to show them that you know what you're talking about. Okay, so if you go into a conversation with them talking about pipeline and you've got dashboards where you can show them the pipeline that's being generated and you can show them where the leads have come from and what activities are driving the pipeline, you will get their attention and they will go, okay, these guys, they know roughly what they're doing. There'll always be input, of course there will, right? And you've got to accept that and you've got to embrace it, right? The key is marketing should not be subservient to sales and that's really, really key. Marketing is a business partner to sales. They are our internal customers. Absolutely, they're our internal customers. And they are closer to the customer than we are most of the time. And so we should be always talking to them about messaging. Is the messaging relevant that we're doing? Is it is it resonating? What is, what is the feedback? What are they hearing in the marketplace? Right? What are the big challenges that CFOs or CIOs or CMOs or what are their big challenges? Because these guys are talking to these people on a daily basis, right? So it's about gaining that kind of information and then showing them that you can turn that into a story and turn that into a message. And I think communication is absolutely critical, right? So I, I have a weekly report that is just, you know, it takes 20 minutes, but it, it really is. This is what we've been doing. This is what we plan to do next week. Just to, just to drip feed them what, what marketing is up to, right? That we're not just messing about on Facebook all day yeah. or whatever, right? Um, we involve them in our events. We involve them in our roundtables. I stand up at every QBR. I get involved in every QBR and I go through every single piece of activity that we've done. What's worked? What hasn't? Why hasn't it worked? Where are we with Pipeline? And if and if Pipeline is, is low, I hold my hands up, right? And say... We've got to do better. But if pipeline is good, I'll say pipeline's good. We're doing all right, yeah. you know? And so it's about being transparent. It's about being communicative, over-communicating, right? Because sales guys are on the road a lot. They, you know, they live on their phones, right? So they, it's easy to miss a, an email. Um, getting involved in their, their, their sales meetings. And if you're not invited to a sales meeting, get invited to the sales meetings, Okay present the marketing plan on a quarterly basis to the sales leaders and to the sales team. Everybody should know, everybody in sales should know what marketing is doing to help drive pipeline and to drive business. And I I think a lot of the time the issues come because they don't know, right? Marketing do their thing and they talk to each other and they present to each other and sales are doing their thing and it's a bit siloed. It should be one joined up team. So invite yourself to the sales leader meetings, the sales QBRs or whatever you want, whatever your company calls them, right? Present your plan, present the next six months activity, review what went on in the previous quarter, what's normal. If it didn't work, it didn't work. But prove that you're learning, show that you're learning. If that event last week didn't work, you don't do it again. Or you look at a way to improve, you get their feedback, you listen. Um, so I think that's really, really critical, uh, um, it's probably a separate podcast in that. So, you know. <laughs> it's very good. Um, have you had a particularly tricky sales stakeholder that you've 
been able to uh, sort of convert, I suppose, to marketing? Yeah, you know what? When I I worked at um, I worked at Kofax, and that was probably uh, eight or nine years ago. I started Kofax, and marketing was the kind of the, the, the you know the, the rotten child of the company. It really wasn't in a great in a great um, state. Sales had no respect for marketing at all, and it, that was that the first month or so was pretty tough mm. right we had some very strong-minded salespeople, um sales leaders in that organization they'd been burnt by marketing marketing promised the earth and not delivered so they were very skeptical um so the, the first thing i did i went back to basics looked at the process the lead funnel process the de- definitions of a lead was all over the place. And it, actually, it's important that sales and marketing need to agree the definitions of each stage of the lead funnel stage, um, stages, right? So if you if your stages are inquiry, marketing qualified lead, sales ready lead, sales qualified lead, then sales and marketing together need to agree on a definition of each one and what the action plans are for each stage. So it could be that somebody downloads a white paper from your website, comes into the system as an inquiry. So then what happens? Well, what happens is it goes to an email nurture program and gets scored. And then if it reaches a score of 100, it goes to the business development team, right? And so so then sales need to understand that and agree that's the right thing to do. And then the, the business development team are on the telephone calling up, following up. They will then make sure that it's a marketing qualified lead. So what's a marketing qualified lead? Well, that could be that there is, they've had a proper conversation with a decision maker. There could be, uh, there's a project there, but it's not fully band qualified or whatever qualification criteria you, you use. Uh, but it then needs further nurturing. And then it goes through, and so a sale, it ends up at a sales qualified opportunity, which then there is a three-way call, for example, and then the sales guy is expected to follow up within three working days or five working days or whatever the time frame is. But it's agreed; it's set in 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 the procedures of the of the department. And if you get sales on 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 side, and they've agreed to upfront, and they know what you're working towards. And they know what the, the business development team, if you have one, are working towards. It makes things so much easier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they get they understand where we're trying to get to. So, first of all, I did that, and then it was just communicating the plan. You know, sharing the plan, proving that there is a plan, mm-hmm. right? Because that's half the problem. Yeah. You know, putting together a six month plan, um, and explaining why we're doing it. You know, why are we using these vendors? Why are we going to these shows? Why are we not going to these things? You know, mm. um, what kind of person are we trying to get, get hold of? Is it the CFO? Is it the, just the, is it the FD or is it the accounting manager or whatever it is? You know, and just getting the sales team involved in the marketing planning process as well. You know, sharing what the definitions of the lead, get, just doing the basics. And I think if you just do those basics... Um, you'll you'll go a long way, and so by doing that, I managed to get the sales team on side um, to such an extent that when the the VP of sales left Cofax, within a week he called me up and 
got me to follow him. And I, I don't know any other marketing person that's followed a salesperson like no, that. No, right? that's so, very unusual. So normally it's a salesperson. But yeah, he called me up within a week and said, Scott, I need you to fix marketing in my new company. <laughs> so so it's just, it's, it's about that's being a real partner. turnaround story, but it also proves what can be achieved. So if you are struggling with a sales stakeholder there is light at the end of the tunnel just yeah process. <laughs> and also within with, with individual sales guys um i've got a team of 12 enterprise sales managers here that they all have their own targets they all have their own patch and so we have to sit down with each of them and we have to make sure that every single sales manager has a bit of marketing love right yep. because otherwise you start getting resentment in the team and you start getting people that love marketing because they're getting all the leads and people that don't because they're not getting any. So you you, de- you do need to make sure that each sales sales person that that's carrying a quota that's got targets has some level of marketing support as much as possible. And then everyone should be happy. It may not all work, right? But you got to show them that you've given them the attention. Market Mentors is produced by Pod Audio, a subscription production service that takes the pain out of podcasting. From advice and support to editing and production to music and artwork, Pod Audio has you covered. Supercharge your podcasting. Just hit record and let Pod Audio do the rest. Pod Audio, save time, sound like a pro. This is where we're kind of getting in, into a slightly different vein of, of questions. How to find a marketing mentor when you are already the most senior marketing person in a business? I have two marketing mentors. Yeah. And they're old bosses. Yeah. So I would say you may now be the most senior person in your organisation, but you weren't previously. Mm. So you And you would have had marketing VPs or marketing directors looking looking after you in previous roles, talk to those guys, mm. you know, um, or talk to senior sales leaders as well. It doesn't have to be a marketing person to be a marketing mentor, right? Okay. just needs to be a good business person, um, I think. So I keep in touch with a couple of my old bosses, right? Um, and we catch, unfortunately, one's in Belgium and one's in America, but... Uh, so I can't catch up with a cu- for a cup of tea. Email. <laughs> but LinkedIn and email are wondrous yeah. things, right? So, and the phone, obviously. So, um, so that my advice would be: yeah, talk, talk to some of your old managers, your old bosses, definitely. Great. Um, what advice have you received from your mentor that made the most impact? Be true to yourself, and don't be afraid to fail. I think that's. That's my one piece of advice. Yeah. Don't be afraid to fail. Mm. Because with, with, without failure, there's no learning, right? Uh, and I've failed loads of times, okay? okay? Don't just... You know, we live in a world where everyone expects perfection straight away, right? And there is huge pressure on the business, okay, to, to hit quarterly numbers after quarterly number after quarterly number. And to do it, we're all stretched really thin and we've all got stretched targets, um, and in, in many cases, to hit your number, everything has to line up, everything has to be perfect. That, that's just not realistic. You've got to be, you have to be, and it comes back to the question we talked about earlier, about the culture of the organisation, and do you fit with that culture, and what do you look for when you're looking for an organisation? If that company doesn't allow people 
to experiment and to, and to mess it up. How can you grow? How can you grow as a company and how can you grow as an individual? So that, that's the best bit of advice I've been given and that's the best bit of advice I can give somebody. Perfect. Um, and what was the biggest learning curve you've had when you got to your first senior leadership role in B2B marketing? Well, not my first one, but i tell you a story about my first day at Sage. Oh, yeah. This was fun. So uh, my first day at Sage, um, I was in Newcastle, our head office. Okay. And just minding my own business, I was in between meetings where I was being um, introduced to everybody. And a senior marketing person came over to me and said, Scott, we've got a problem. And... What, what happened was we had just launched a very large national advertising campaign showcasing a number of our customers. One of those customers hadn't approved the copy oh, no. that had gone out on the ad, yeah. which was now on 40-foot billboards on the M4. Yeah, um, I saw those, actually. Uh, and different things like that all over the, all over the country. Yeah. Radio ads, everything. Uh, and so this... This customer was not best pleased. Mm. And this senior marketing leader said, deal with it. <gasps> On day one? Day one. No. Yeah. What did you do? Um, well, after about five minutes of panicking, <laughs> just mild panic, just so nobody could just really un- <laughs> notice, but yeah, um, just trying to figure out what's happened, you know? Yeah. And I don't think I've ever said sorry as many times in like two hours <laughs> as I did on that day, yeah. to be honest. Um, but, you know, we we managed to placate the partner that was involved and the customer that was involved just about um, and pull back as much of the creative as possible to, yeah. get it, to get it fixed. And, you know, six months later, that customer was presenting at a customer roadshow of ours, being very pro you know, and very nice, uh, uh, saying nice things about Sage. So um, we managed to turn it around. But that was that was a baptism of fire. Yes. Uh, shall we say, without going into too too great a detail. <laughs> um, what do you do to keep up to speed with the latest B two B marketing practices? So I'm an avid reader. I am. I think the definition is a whale reader. Oh. I think that's the term in the Godin term. I in think the, in the, the whale. <laughs> yeah. So I read a lot. Uh, I also um, listen to a lot of podcasts. Driving, walking the dog, going for a run, whatever it is. Mm. Um, I tend. That's my instrument of learning. It, uh, what's the word? It's the, the way I choose to, to to digest a lot of information is audio these days. I'm I'm, I'm becoming more and more attuned to digesting content through audio and so um because i can do other things at the same time you know so as i say drive to work driving from work or driving to a partner or client or whatever i've got i subscribe to about 25 different podcasts Um, obviously market mentors being one now obviously market (laughs) mentors is right up there number one um and that's one of the reasons why this i think this project is fabulous I have to say, um, because uh, I think time is becoming so short for so many people that we very rarely sit and do one thing at at once. If you 
if you really consciously think about it, we're always doing two or three things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, so I, I do read still a, a lot, um, but podcast and there's some brilliant ones out there. Markumental has been. Thanks, Scott. I'll pay you later. Um, with pressures of general life, how do you manage the work-life balance and how important is that in today's society? It's incredibly important. Yeah. More important than many people realise, I think. And it's life-work balance, not work-life balance. Oh, I like it. I'll check. I think. <laughs> because, you know, work is only work, right? Yeah. A job is only a job. Mm. Now, I have some very strict rules for me. I do work from home. Yeah. But I never work in the evenings. Right. Once my job is... once, But I, I do spend a bit more time in the office. I'm normally the last one out of the office. Yeah. Like, but that's only like 20 past six. Yeah. Half six. Okay. By half six, I'm out of the office at the very latest. I drive home. I'm home by about quarter past, 20 past seven. Yeah. I leave my work phone in my car. Ah. And I, and I take my laptop and stuff, but yeah. when I go through my my front door, my kids and my wife and my dog mm. and my cat, that's my world. Yeah. I leave it at home. And, and you've got to do it. You've absolutely got to do it. It can be tough sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, and there are rare occasions where I have a really pressing deadline or something, a fire has started or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, then I will have to. Mm. But it's absolutely under duress. It's, it is the... It is the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. Um, Because I've got other things to do. Yeah. You know, I've got hobbies. I've got (laughs) I've got kids. You know, I you know books to write. I've got books to write. Whatever. You know, (laughs) Um, it's not that I'm just lazy and I sit there with my feet up watching the TV. Absolutely don't. I'm always doing something. But you know, work is work, and my hobbies and my life and my family are super super important. And um, I think you have to set those rules. Mm. And it may not work for you. You may like working from home for a bit or whatever. You might come home yeah. a bit earlier and do an hour, whatever. doesn't matter. Whatever suits you. Um, you but you've got, to, you've got to have those rules and you can't let work dominate your life. You absolutely can't. I hate it when I see people emailing me, my team. Mm. I will shout, not shout them, <laughs> but I will ask them why yeah. they are emailing me at 7, 8 in the evening. There's absolutely no need, in my opinion. Um, unless it's an absolute emergency, right? You've got to be strict with yourself. So the life-work balance has to be has to be there for everybody. I think so. Yeah, I think it's really important. You know, we live in a world where, um, you know, mental health and mental well-being, mental health well-being, is highlighted. Yeah. You know, increasingly, a lot of people are worried about it. Mm. Um, you know, and I have to say, say to Brilliant because we've got mental health workers in each office yeah. that have been trained to help colleagues that are, in, that are struggling. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've got quiet rooms in the office where you can just get away. If you need five minutes, mm. you, you can just walk away. Um, and there's a little room. In, 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 so as, as an organisation, I think SAIS do quite a lot yeah. around mental health wellbeing. Um, but we've got to help ourselves, mm. you know, and... Working 15 hour days ain't helping yourself. Yeah. That's my advice. Very good advice. And while, while we're on the subject, because um, 
I, I know I, I'm probably more excited than you are about the, the fact that you're also a published author with 30 <laughs> books to your name, all available on Amazon, <laughs> all with really good reviews as well. But how on earth have, have you managed to do that alongside this, you know, B2B marketing leadership role and, you know, family? You've mentioned two kids, dog, cat, wife. How, how have you done that as well? Tell, tell me more. <laughs> um, I don't watch TV. Right, okay. That's good. Not at all. Not hardly any TV at all. So um, it's amazing how much time we waste in front of the TV. And I can't sit still. I can't do it. Yeah. I just, I have to be doing something. I have pretty much got him pinned down on a chair right there. I I can't. I, you know, I... And, you know, I'm just one of these people that I have so many ideas. I mean, I've got... Um, I got Google Docs, and I can show you. I got on my phone, and I've got pages and pages and pages on Google Docs of just ideas yeah. of things I'd like to do. Whether it's a book, whether it's business ideas, whether it's you know um, charity work, whether it's whatever it is. Okay, I just I've always got something buzzing around my head, and um, so I I don't watch TV. Yeah. When my kids were little. Yeah. And they're a bit older now, but when they used to go to bed at six or seven, I could write for an hour or two yeah. um, in the evening. I, I don't write so much now, I'll be honest with you, although I have published two books this year. Yeah. Um, they were written a while back. Yeah. Also, I used to travel a lot, a hell of right. a lot. And so, um, again, I used, to, I used to follow my life work balance when I travelled. Yeah. You know, used to spend a lot of time in hotel rooms, but instead of working all night, I'd write. Because mm. um, for me, it's relaxing. You know, yeah. It's a relaxation exercise for me. I completely switch off. Although it's work, kind of, it's, you know, I'm working. Yeah. I'm not working on work. I'm working on my project. Yeah. And it helps me completely relax and switch off. Um, so I would right until one or two in the morning because I, I wouldn't do that at home because mm-hmm. that's not fair on my family um, uh, so I looked upon my days when I was travelling as writing opportunities so yeah. if I was on a long haul flight I'd write on a long haul flight if I was travelling I'd work till one or two in the morning and so by doing that and it's amazing how those three or four hours here and two hours there and three hours all adds up yeah. and suddenly you've got a book yeah Lovely, yeah. really interesting. And where, where did the passion for for the um, the subject matter arise? Obviously, you talked about your degree that you wanted to do originally, but I understand that that's quite a, a specific genre that you like to work in. Well, um, I write. We are going completely off topic here. I'm not sure your listeners will be that interested. Oh, I think they will be. But military history, so First World War, Second World War. Um, Waterloo Uh, you know I'm not a historian I don't pretend to be uh, but I do read a lot of history and I do talk to a lot of people about that kind of stuff and it was just obvious to me that despite millions of books being written on history stuff so many people don't have a clue Um, and without getting on my high horse there are a number of academic historians that I th- I think, I believe, write 
2,000-page books just to show how clever they are, um, but they are alienating the average person in the street that just wants to have the basic knowledge of what happened on the Battle of the Somme or, you know, D-Day or whatever. Yeah. But they don't need, to, they don't want or need to know at infinitum everything about everything. Yeah. So my books are exactly that. Very concise, short. I write how I speak badly. <laughs> but it's more conversational. Um, there's a little bit of humour in there as well. Tongue-in-cheek, not meant to past judgment on anyone or you know uh but and people like it right um it's really resonated um hasn't resonated enough for me not to work but (laughs) but it's but it's resonated you know and i've had several amazon bestsellers yeah um and yeah it's something that i like doing that's great and then the most recent book is off topic actually it's off topic it? it is it's a fiction book based on my observations of characters you see in an everyday office. So if you think about the Mr. Men style of books, where yeah. there's the very short stories, but illustrated short stories. So I've picked, I've over the years, yeah. I've come across a number of interesting characters, right? Yeah. So there are the people that talk in endless cliches. Uh, personally, I hate the word leverage, right? I hate it. It makes me just, Oh, I hate, but you know, there's people that talk, especially working in for a lot of American organisations. Oh yes, uh, you you you, t- you tend to run in a lot into people that t- tend to work uh, speak in endless cliche. So there's a character that does that. There's um, a character that uh, works too much at the detriment of her of her work and social life, yeah. which is what we touched on. Yeah. Um, so there's a moral to that story as well, and there's also uh, a character that. Um, is quite aggressive um, in the workplace and, you know, shouts and screams a lot. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they're just a bit of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and um, it was quite, quite fun to write. And, uh, yeah. you know, and I've got, again, I've got maybe 30 or 40 character ideas that may or may not be um, shown the light of day at some point. Lovely. Well, we should, we should be watching that today. Keep them coming, please. Um, so, harking back to marketing now, uh, how has marketing changed since you started out on your career? Wow. Well, I'm old, right? <laughs> so, when I did my degree, uh, there was only one or two computer rooms for the whole university, yeah. right? There was no notion of internet marketing or online marketing or any of that digital, social digital social media, yeah. anything like that at yeah. all. We were, I was taught the four P's. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So marketing is like, it, it has completely turned on its head in the 20, no, it's not 20, I, I graduated in 97, so yeah, 21 years um, since uh, I graduated. Yeah. It's just been, the pace of change is, is eye-watering. Yeah. And it continues. Uh, every month there's a new channel, but it seems like that's open and, and available to us. Uh, and, you know, and as marketeers, I think we we have that something in our DNA that tends to follow the latest shiny kind of new trend. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, but we've got to be careful about just floating off and following these new shiny lights. We have to make sure that the stories that we tell, and that's what we do, we tell stories, um, 
that the vehicles that we use to get those stories into the eyes or ears of our um, targeted audience are those vehicles that can get them there, right? So we need to make sure, so, you know, where does a CFO go to get his or her information? We need to make sure that our stories are in those places, not in the latest and greatest space just because it's cool. We, we need to be relevant. We need to still be grounded. And we need to make sure that we keep the audience and the audience's needs at the centre of what we do. Um, but, yeah, it, the opportunities uh, and the, the, the platforms are, are incredible. And endless, it seems. And endless, yeah. Um, What skills do you think marketers should be investing in for the future? That's a good question. I think... Do you know what? If I had two people in front of me that I had, and I had one vacancy, and they had all the the same-ish skill sets attitude, mm-hmm. experience. But one was, and I'm, this is going to sound, I don't know how this is going to sound, but one was a good writer. Yeah. A better writer. I would go for the person that can write. Because I think, as I say, we are in the business of telling stories. Yeah. And writing is really important. Copywriting, yeah. headlines, subject lines, short, sharp, copy, compelling call to actions. I think writing is an underestimated skill because everyone can write words. Yeah. Everyone thinks everyone can do it. But actually, writing a web landing page copy that will convert is actually really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And so that's a real skill that I think marketeers should invest in. Yeah. Uh, you know, copywriting. Yeah. Um, and and write a, a writing skill. I also think just the confidence and communication, not being scared. It's about, you know, we talked earlier on about communicating with sales and sharing with sales. So you've got to be confident enough to hold those conversations. So that's a, you know, and to interact with those so it's basic persons. social and communicative skills yeah. are critical mm. okay um, the soft skills really right yeah. I guess um, and don't lose touch of creativity mm. I sometimes despair <laughs> when Mark and, and I completely understand that we need to be data driven marketeers yeah. and all that kind of stuff right mm. but I do wonder sometimes whether the creativity has been driven out of the industry not always there are some brilliant stuff that continues to be made but on a day-to-day basis when it's email after email after email after online banner after you know it's just thinking about so creativity and cutting through the noise of you know I get 400, 500 emails a day, probably. Is that all? Is that all? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sure that's... No, no, I mean, you know, but if I get a sales... But I get two pieces of post, for yeah. example. Yeah. Right? So straight away there, for me, there's a massive opportunity. Yeah. And I do think sometimes that marketing is on the way of going, and I've said this for a number of years, actually, coming back full circle yeah. to more of a physical direct mail kind of... Mm-hmm. That, 
you know, um, there's an opportunity there. So creativity and thinking a little bit beyond um, the norm. Makes sense. Um, what do you listen to when you need to focus? Um, nothing, actually. <laughs> I prefer quiet. Yeah. Yes. And so I will often just walk the dog, go for a run. And I actually, I, I used to um, listen to music and stuff, but if I want to really focus and think something through, I'll go for a walk quite, with nothing, just absolute quiet, mm. absolute quiet. And then, um, being an author, this might be an interesting question for you. Uh, what is the book you recommend or books you recommend the most to B2B marketers today? That is a good question. There's a couple of books. Um, I read, as I say, I read a lot of books, right? Most of them are rubbish, let's be honest. Most of the business books are just the same old, same old. But Start With Why, Simon Sinek, is possibly the most profound book I've ever read. Yeah. And I would recommend it. In fact, I give it to every member of my team. So every company I work for, since that book has been published, obviously, I think it was two or three years old now. But I I give it to everybody in my team as mandatory reading. It is... Yeah, I mean, it, it is um, to 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 praise the book. It is flipping a lot of companies. Most companies start their messaging and their storytelling with what they do and how they do it. But the best storytellers and the best organisations, the organisations that are able to um, reach and interact and have empathy with their audience are the companies that start with why. Why are they doing what they do? And the premise of the book is people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. In a nutshell, that is the I just that's the spoiler yeah. kind of thing. But it is for me, that is profound. Okay. And if you are looking for an angle in your marketplace if you're in a crowded marketplace or a commodities marketplace where everybody's selling much the much same kind of stuff right and they're going to market with oh we can be we're cheaper we're better we're faster we're quicker we're more easy everyone's saying that you need then an angle so that angle could be why mm-hmm. why are you doing what you're doing and if you can and if you can craft that story that that's that could be a game changer right so i i would recommend everybody to read that book or if you don't like reading or can't be bothered to read google it uh, yeah youtube it actually sorry there is a 18 or 19 minute presentation by simon that basically summarizes the book in an 18 minute video uh, so i would do that if you can't be bothered to read the second book and this is specifically for field marketing people that are working in software Okay. Right? And the book is called Lead Generation for the Complex Sale. Ooh, I've not heard of that one. And it's by a guy called Brian Carroll. Okay. And it's a few years old now, yeah. right? But the basic principles are absolutely watertight. Okay. And he's talking about um, multimodal communications. So not just an email, but mix it up with personalized web experiences 
email, thought leadership, PR, direct mail, events, everything, right? And and he goes into great detail about how to measure, you know, how to build it, how to build the funnel, all that kind of stuff. It is, it is, as I say, it's a few years old now, but the principles in it are pretty watertight. And for anybody that is in field marketing, so generating pipeline for technology companies with a long sales cycle, like three, six, nine months size sales cycle, that's the book. It's a, it's a good it's a good one. And then um, thirdly, uh, there is a book called Unmarketing by Scott Stratton. Ooh. I don't know if you've heard that no, one. I haven't. And he also has a podcast. Oh. Okay. And uh, the podcast is quite, he's a funny guy, actually. He's quite funny. But so he is looking at, it's difficult to explain, but he basically says that the traditional way of marketing is all rubbish. Yeah. And we need to be way more customer centric. Right. Okay. And customer experience is the new marketing. Mm. Okay. And, and so, He's he's trying to get us to unstitch the way that we've traditionally done or gone about marketing and be much more customer-focused, much more customer-experience-focused. And he gives loads of examples. As in how you make them feel? Yes, exactly right, how you make them feel. And a, a lot of it is for companies that are that have direct like consumer, mm-hmm. so consumer um, customers. Yeah. So a lot of the examples are consumer uh, examples, but um, but there are still lots of principles that we should take in the B two B space as well. Mm. So and actually, it's quite an entertaining read as well. So it's um, so there's yeah unmarketing. So there's my there's my three Top recommendations. Three. Um, so last question now, Scott. What part of the words wisdom or advice would you share with our audience? At the risk of repeating myself, I would say, don't be afraid to fail. Be true to yourself. And go to work with a smile on your face. I think if you can do those, then you're halfway there. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Really nice words. That's great. Thank you ever so much, Scott, for your time no and problem. for the advice. Thank you. That's been brilliant. Thank you very much. So there you have it. Career advice from a real marketing expert and leader in the field. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Market Mentors. If you have a marketing career-related question, you know who to ask. 